It's Tuesday, June 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Israel has a new prime minister for the first time since 2009. Benjamin Netanyahu is out, and Naftali Bennett is in. With this change in leadership, the Biden administration sees an opportunity to diffuse tensions over Iran and other policy disagreements. But the new government in Israel is fragile and consists of eight parties with varying interests. Vivian Salama, national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, a new coronavirus vaccine may soon be available from Novavax, as they say their two-dose shot is 90% effective at preventing symptomatic COVID-19. While it may not make much of an impact in the U.S., it is expected to be a welcome addition to the global vaccination effort. Approval may still take a few months as they ramp up their manufacturing processes, but it is still a big win for Novavax, who has never won an approval for a vaccine. Peter Loftus, pharmaceutical reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Finally, the latest Gallup survey shows that those reluctant to take the COVID-19 vaccine are likely to stay that way. Over 64% have had at least one dose of the vaccine, and another 12% say they plan to. But of those that are left, over half of them say they won't be vaccinated and won't change their minds. Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup, joins us for what the latest numbers say. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Netanyahu steps down after 12 years very begrudgingly, and he remains in the opposition. That's how it works in Israel. And so he's still there and still very much um, a player in Israeli politics, but he's not heading the government anymore. It's gone to to this new figure, Naftali Bennett. Joining us now is Vivian Salama, national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Vivian. Sure. Great to be here. Israel has a new prime minister for the first time since 2009. The new prime minister sworn in is Naftali Bennett. This is after we see Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the longest serving prime minister there, leave. Vivian, uh, tell us a little bit more about this transition of power. And then after that, it seems like it's an opportunity for the Biden administration to start fresh with Israel now that he's president. So Vivian, tell us a little bit more about this, please. That's right. There's been um, a pretty rocky a couple of months, maybe even years, you could say, in Israeli politics, where efforts to form coalition governments have collapsed. And uh, Israel's long-serving prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is a known figure here in the United States, he was really struggling to kind of keep his coalition afloat. And so finally, you know, amid growing pressure, Bibi Netanyahu was facing a lot of internal pressure, personal pressures as well. He has some legal issues due to some charges of corruption and otherwise. And so he he basically hit a wall when it came to a lot of the pressures that were he was facing. And so finally, you know, in recent weeks, they just uh, decided that they were going to form a new coalition. And Naftali Bennett, who's been one of the a right wing, a very well known entity in Israel, a right wing politician, sort of climbed the ranks and he was the one that was found to be the next prime minister. And so there's a transition going on, and not without a fight. Bibi Netanyahu steps down after 12 years very begrudgingly, and he remains in the opposition. That's how it works in Israel. And so he's still there and still very much um, a player in Israeli politics, but he's not heading the government anymore. It's gone to this new figure, Naftali Bennett. And so yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of changes as far as the, a fresh face in Israeli politics, um, you know, at least from the U.S. perspective, he's a very, like I said, he's a very well-known entity in Israel. Right. And an interesting point for President Biden right now, he's known 
Benjamin Netanyahu for like 40 years and he's never met Bennett before. He called him very quickly after he was sworn in and all that. But this is kind of that new chance right now to to start this new relationship. So President Biden has really felt that his relationship, his four-decade relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu, which dates back to when Netanyahu was at the embassy in Washington, believes that that was like a major foundation for the relationship between his administration and Israel, but also bolstered his ability to negotiate or help to negotiate ceasefire last month during that awful fighting between Israel and Hamas fighters in Gaza. And also the relationship was very tense because of the fact that, A, the Biden administration is renewing talks with Iran to try to see if they can re-enter the nuclear agreement, which is something that both Benjamin Netanyahu and his successor, Naftali Bennett, are very opposed to. And also, you know, they've been talking about providing aid to the Palestinians, helping to rebuild Gaza and calling Israel out on expansion of settlements, all these things that ruffle feathers with both Benjamin Netanyahu and also with Naftali Bennett, who has been a very vocal opponent of the Iran and the nuclear deal. He's been a very staunch supporter of expansion of settlements and things like that. And so a lot of similarities between the two men, although internally, uh, domestically, there's definitely some differences. But Benjamin Netanyahu came out on Sunday and said, you know, Bennett is going to be weak when it comes to fighting against the Iran nuclear accord. and He's not going to keep Israel safe. And he kind of talked about his relationship with Biden and said that he's not afraid to talk tough to Biden and put Israel's needs first. And uh, Bennett um, kind of brushing that off and plowing forward. And so Israeli politics is never dull. And it certainly wasn't <laughs> right. in the last couple of days. Um, but it will be very interesting to see how the Biden administration decides to proceed with all this. Tell me a little bit more about how fragile this new government there is because it's comprised of a bunch of different parties. If somebody drops out and they don't have enough support, you know, it kind of throws the whole thing into a whirlwind. Naftali Bennett is the new prime minister, but as I mentioned, everything is very fragile at the moment. So there are eight parties with very, very different views on a lot of issues, domestic and foreign, in this coalition. And uh, one of the, the major kind of newsmaking coalition parties within this coalition is an independent Arab party that joined the government for the first time. And so that was also very significant and so hard to get them to agree and to be on the same page as anything. And they start fighting and they kind of create a gridlock. And the whole entire thing falls apart when some of these parties refuse to, to participate in the government anymore and boycott and things like that. So a very challenging <laughs> undertaking for, for Bennett and one where he's going to have to kind of be careful. So, yeah, he comes into this position with pretty sharp right wing views on a number of issues like the Iran nuclear agreement, like settlements, like a lot and other domestic issues like, that I keep saying. But at the same time, if he rocks the boat too much, he threatens to really topple this coalition that, again, is so fragile. And a lot of observers, a lot of folks in the U.S. administration and Israelis that we've spoken to really believe that it's going to force him to moderate his right. political views, because the only way to really get any kind of consensus done is by moderating and trying to kind of toe the line and walk in the middle. And so that's sort of what folks are expecting, but obviously it's his first day on the job, so it's yeah. a wait-and-see situation. <laughs> Definitely. A new page for Israel, uh, new Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, so we'll see how all of that progresses. Vivian Salama, national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Within a year and a half, we now have well, less than a year and a half, we now have, as you said, four vaccines available to treat a virus that was brand new 
in, in 2019, which is just completely unheard of and absolutely amazing. Joining us now is Peter Loftus, pharmaceutical reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Got some good news on the vaccine front, although it might be a little too late here in the United States. Novavax has come out with some results from their clinical trials saying that their vaccine is 90% effective, including against some of the variants which have been going out there. They had about a 30,000-person study that was conducted in the U.S. and Mexico, and and they got some good news out of it. So, Peter, start us off there. What are they saying uh, with regards to their vaccine? What they're saying is they did a large study that lasted from late December, still ongoing, but I think the, the, the meat of the results were through April. And they gave, they gave their vaccine, their COVID vaccine, to about two-thirds of the 30,000 people in the study, and a third of them got the placebo, and then they, they kept track of who got COVID-19. And they basically found that there was a, a pretty significant difference in that many more people of those cases of COVID-19, there were, there were more in the people that had gotten the placebo which indicates that the vaccine was protective. And the, they, they did find there were some cases of COVID-19 among people who had gotten their vaccine, but they were all mild cases. This uh, vaccine is given in two doses, three weeks apart. One of the interesting things throughout their study, though, is that a lot of the people that were coming down with COVID were from these new variants. So, you know, going back to kind of what we've been going through with Pfizer and Moderna, largely those studies were done before the variants. And this was kind of done while they were already circulating. So a lot of the people were coming down with these variants during this study. Yeah. And it was really just a function of timing. And, and I think, you know, some of this was just unforeseen, but, but, you know, as you said, Pfizer and Moderna, their studies were the first big studies done last year for experimental COVID vaccines. And they were mostly completed before these variants were circulating, these variants that are more transmissible. And there's also some evidence that some of them might cause more severe disease. And so since Novavax didn't start their big study until late December, you know, we were already well into, or or we were sort of on the cusp of when it became known that these variants were a concern. And so they, you know, they were, some of them were first identified in other countries like the UK South Africa. And during the course of the U.S. study for the Novavax vaccine, it became apparent that the strain that was first identified in the U.K. really became the dominant strain here in the U.S. And and that was known while the trial was going on. And I think there was some element of suspense or just sort of a question of whether this vaccine that Novavax made, which was basically designed against the original strain, so to speak, whether this would also offer protection against the some of the variants, including this this UK variant or the variant first identified there, so we, we did see that that it was it was positive that that the vaccine's efficacy pretty much held up. So uh, Novavax is coming out with their vaccine. It's still going to take a few months to get approved, but they'll most likely have a bigger impact outside of the U.S. with their vaccine. Um, and I think, you know, they're going to have a billion doses ready for global distribution uh, in the next few months. U.S. officials have said, you know, they feel that they've secured a sufficient supply now, essentially, for anyone who wants the vaccine. So, you know, obviously that the vaccination campaign is still going on. But really, by the time 
Novavax is able to get all the data together for the, both the clinical trial and their manufacturing and then apply for FDA approval, it's going to be, you know, probably a few months from now. And so that would be a time that, you know, there might be relatively small demand for the vaccine here in the U.S. And so Novavax, really from the start, they have taken a, a fairly international approach and have made arrangements and contracts with these these international initiatives that some people may have heard of called COVAX, where basically various vaccines are being distributed to a bunch of different countries, including lower and middle income countries, countries that might not have been able to just afford to buy a bunch of doses on their own for their population. And so I think that's that's the kind of area where the Novavax vaccine could meet a big demand. This is also a slightly different uh, vaccine platform than some of the other ones that we have already. You know, the mRNA platforms that we've been hearing about, even the viral vector platforms like Johnson & Johnson. So this one's slightly different in that sense. It's a, basically a protein-based vaccine. And so it is actually generally based on a more established vaccine technology than mRNA and even the viral vector vaccines. Um, it's just that it, it, it takes a little longer to develop it. That's part of the reason why you're seeing this come up now after the, these first three vaccines already got through the pipeline. But another factor is that Novavax is a small company. They have tried in the past to come up with vaccines, including in response to past outbreaks like Zika and Ebola. But yet they've never been able to take it all the way through the series of clinical trials and, and just to get to the point where the vaccines can get approval. And so really before this COVID pandemic, this, this company was um, in a precarious position. It just didn't have significant products on the market. And there was really a question about whether it could keep going. And now it is it is in such a different position where this vaccine that they developed for COVID really seems to be um, effective and safe according to the data that they released today. And so I think it, it, it does put the company in a much different position. Yeah. Peter Loftus, pharmaceutical reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. They're kind of waiting to see how effective the vaccine is. So that's 23% say that um, they want to confirm that it's safe, though I said effective, but it's really, they're looking at the safety. Joining us now is Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. My pleasure. We have about 64% of the people in the country that are vaccinated, 12% still plan to be vaccinated, but we have about 24% of people that uh, say they do not plan on being vaccinated. And uh, a large portion of those people are saying, you know, there's no way to change my mind. I'm just not going to do it. All these numbers combined together, we do kind of get into that territory that's needed for herd immunity, which is good. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing. Yeah, so I think definitely you're right. You know, I think a lot of the estimates about herd immunity somewhere in the 70% range, maybe give or take five percentage points. That's certainly what Biden is trying to hit 70%, uh, you know, at least one shot by July 4th. So we're pretty close to that already, just in terms of people who have gotten the vaccine, either fully vaccinated or partially. So then we're looking at that next group, which is the 12%. And, uh, you know, we've seen the uh, the rates of vaccination go down, kind of the pace has slowed quite a bit. 
you know, that's the question of how quickly that group will get on board being vaccinated. And if they do, then we're pretty much going to hit the 70% right there. And we don't even really need to have to worry about that other group that's kind of reluctant. But, you know, the other group that's reluctant, we have half of them saying it's not likely at all that they would change their mind and get vaccinated. On the other side, you have a combined 20% who say they're either very likely to change their mind or somewhat likely to change their mind. So not a big uh, slice of that group. If you add it all together, that is 5% of the U.S. population. So, you know, if if that group somehow, all of them change their mind, we could be getting close to 80%, yeah. but that kind of looks like maybe the ceiling um, for vaccination. Let's talk a little bit more about those people that are saying that they're not going to get vaccinated. You know, what are their top reasons for not wanting to do it right now? So a lot of them, and, you know, these could be mostly people who, you know, say they're open to changing their mind. They're kind of waiting to see how effective the vaccine is. So that's 23% say that um, they want to confirm that it's safe, though, or I said effective, but it's really, they're looking at the safety. 23% want to make sure it's safe before they get it. The next group, they're kind of just not really scared by the virus, 20% say if they got COVID, they don't think they would get sick. So obviously don't see much compelling reason to get the vaccine. So those are the two most common reasons. Neither percentage is that high among the choices that we give. The other factors that people cite are that they're concerned with how quickly the vaccine was developed, maybe some concerns about safety there. And then that's 16%, another 16% just are not comfortable with vaccines in general. So whether that's for COVID or, you know, smallpox, whatever, you know, they just don't trust vaccines. So and there's a number and there's a number of people also that have already had COVID-19 and -hmm. they're saying, hey, you know, I don't don't really need the vaccine. I have that natural immunity. I know uh, your surveys only cover so much, obviously, but I'm, I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people in the country that fall in that same group, too. Yeah, 10 percent of the people who don't plan to get vaccinated said they've already had it. So if you kind of netted that out, that would be 2% of all U.S. adults, some portion, too, who have had COVID and gotten the vaccinated, so they wouldn't be in that group. And, you know, I guess they're still trying to figure out the science on that, you know, how long that immunity will last if you have COVID. So once that kind of sorted out, that might tip some people to getting the vaccine. Obviously, throughout the pandemic, a big concern was getting sick. Nobody wanted to catch the virus. But right now, 53% of adults are saying that their biggest worry is other people that are choosing not to get vaccinated. Yeah, we've asked people for their concerns about, you know, the pandemic and and the related issue. Right now, that's the top concern um, that people have. Um, In the past, people were worried about, you know, hospital capacity and lack of social distancing, certainly availability of tests. That was a big issue last year. That's really kind of come down. All of them have come down, but now it's really being worried that, you know, people around you aren't going to get vaccinated because that seems to be what's driving the decline in infections and deaths um, this year. Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.